This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to bigheadsmedia.com for more great podcasts. This is the American Toffee Podcast, your source for stateside views on Everton Football Club. Hosted by Alex Johnson and James Boyman. Greetings, Blues. Welcome back to the American Toffee Podcast. James here, joined by Alex. Yo, what's up? And our special guest for the day, Adam Jones from the Liverpool Echo. Adam, thanks for coming back on the show. Oh, no, thank you for having me again. A lot to discuss following Everton's 1-1 draw at Old Trafford versus Manchester United. I think the best place to start would probably be a bit of uh, trickery used by Duncan Ferguson in the the pre-match lineup name and the, the formation that we lined up initially in a back five only to immediately see Mason Holgate step into a central defensive midfield role, which was a bit unexpected, but came about due to last-minute withdrawals of Gilfie Sigurdsson and Jabril Sidibe due to illness, which compounds the other injury issues we have at the moment. Solid all-around performance from the team today. I thought that they showed a lot of fight. Duncan Ferguson getting a tune out of the players that he had at his disposal. Um, Unfortunate for us to have dropped points from a winning position. But at Old Trafford, one point with the with everything that's going on right now, I think you kind of have to be happy with it. Adam, what are your initial thoughts following the match? Uh, yeah, I, I, I have to completely agree. Uh, there is that slight tinge of disappointment that one point wasn't turned into all three. But, it, you know, as you've just said there, with all the injuries that Everton have had to deal with, with a centre-back playing in defensive midfield, uh, with the injury to Luca Dean that happened in the game as well, uh, and just the general feeling and scenario around the club at the minute, you know, the, Everton still aren't out of this sort of relegation dogfight sort of area. But to go to Old Trafford and play against, you know, admittedly a weakened Manchester United team, they're not the Manchester United of the past, but this was an informed Manchester United team. They'd hit form essentially at exactly the wrong time for Everton. But to go there and to show as much fight as they did, as much passion as they did, uh, really was promising because we had a lot of doubts over whether Ferguson would be able to do that. You know, the Chelsea game was really good, but that had that Goodison Park feeling around it. Uh, there were, there were a, still a couple of little doubts over whether that could be produced away from home, and uh, Ferguson's completely proved them wrong. It was, I think, it was whatever he's saying to the players is completely working, and uh, long may it continue. Absolutely agree. It was. I saw the lineup, and we always know like social media graphics for lineups from any team uh, never tell the whole story, right? And then even then, you usually have two different formations in and out of possession. But I was genuinely confused when I saw the graphic today. You know, I saw, I think Dave Downey tweet something like, well, if you don't have a midfield, just don't play with one. I'm not sure if it was sarcastic or not. I think, I I hope it was. Um, but, But nonetheless, I thought actually, speaking of Mason Holgate, coming up forward into the defensive midfield role. I thought we had a bunch of, well, a handful of really good performances, individual performances, and Mason Holgate was actually one of them. I thought that he had a lot of good defensive tackles and blocks, and I thought that getting forward, he helped well. I liked his aerial presence in the middle of the pitch. That helped quite a bit, knocking some balls down to to kind of muster up the small bit of possession that we had. Dominic Calvert-Lewin ended up getting man of the match, and he was a monster once again. And, and I think I think in terms of, Big dunk getting a result away from home, or in other words, four points in the last two matches against very difficult opponents. I think this just kind of shows 
this is what happens when you play to player strengths, right? Mm -hmm. Dominic Calvert-Lewin has been a man of the match, both matches, and we just played to his strength. That was, let him be a center forward. Let him focus on being a center forward. He still pressed. He did everything he normally does, but I felt that the way the, the, the team was focusing on getting the ball into his feet and letting him help build up the play yeah. makes us look much stronger than we have even with when he was on the pitch with Marco Silva. Mm, absolutely. And I think that playing in a front two when he has a striker alongside him really helps with, you know, sometimes previously under under previous regime, regimes, not just Marco Silva, even in times under Sam Allardyce, when he functioned in that sole striker role, he'd be very isolated and he would still do the things he does well, like win balls in the air, but he wouldn't really, he was so isolated that he could win it, but then, you know, had no one around him to go to. And with Richarlison alongside him, I think, you know, at times they looked a bit connected, disconnected today. Um, they struggled to kind of link up, but at other times they were they were working in tandem, um, off the ball, really good work rate from both of them. Like you said, Alex, Mason Holgate, uh, you know, kind of a jack of all trades now. He's played in, what, four different positions, both both center back positions, the a right back at times and now in midfield shows that he's very versatile. And I was surprised at how comfortable he looked in possession, um, looking to get the ball forward and even having a few shots. Uh, looked aggressive in that regard, which, again, not something you kind of expect to see. Uh, and then, you know, Luca Dean being withdrawn was a huge blow, but I, I was actually very impressed with Leighton Baines. Uh, his set-piece delivery was, as we all know, I mean, that doesn't really go away with age. And even, you know, athletically, um, I guess it's easy to forget because he's been away for so long, but it doesn't mean that he's, you know, aged 20 years overnight. But he showed that he can still do a job for this team. Um, and, and I was very pleased with the overall work rate from the side. And again, Yeri Mina too in the back, um, just the direct play overall, it's, it's been getting results for us. It's been working. It isn't necessarily easiest on the eye or, or all that exciting to watch, but, um, you know, get the own goal and sort of shut up shop and, and try to get the points. Mm. And that's what we did. I mean, as you said, I think there were a lot of really good individual performances. I think. Holgate is the one that stands out for me just because of, you know, he was, he was playing in a position that was essentially a bit alien to him. I think it was, it, it's it's not alien in the sense that he is still central. Like he's, he's been playing at centre-backs, moving it up into centre-mid was mm-hmm. maybe maybe the right thing to do. But it was really interesting actually speaking to Duncan Ferguson after the game. He explained why they initially lined up with a five at the back and you just see Holgate run forward into midfield and it was essentially just he, he said oh I was just messing around like everyone thought I was playing five at the back so uh, I, told, I told him to line up <laughs> that way and then uh, and then just run into the midfield and play in his actual position but uh, yeah as, as you've as you've both said I think Holgate was absolutely outstanding defensively I think he was absolutely dominant in the aerial battle against Manchester United's midfield uh, and in possession I, I wasn't actually surprised to see him that good in possession because he was playing that way, and admittedly in the championship with West Brom last season, but he has been playing that way at right back. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's shown that he's adept in bringing the ball forward and you know getting Everton on the attack, uh, and he just showed that again today. And I think something that's maybe flown under the radar a little bit, I think you, you need to give a shout-out to Tom Davis as well, because Tom Davis was the one who was helping him through you know, playing in that unnatural position. Like You could see so many times Holgate was looking over to see Okay, where's Davis? Where should I be standing, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So I, th- I think you know I was I was maybe a little bit concerned after the early book and that Tom Davis might be walking a bit of a disciplinary tightrope, but uh, I think his performance as well uh, shouldn't go under the radar. I think he was very very good today as well. 
agree with both those. And I actually really want to highlight Leighton Baines. I was watching the match with a buddy who's a United fan, and he just kind of looked over and smiled at me when Luca Dean had to come off and Baines had to come on. Because as we all know, it was his 35th birthday this week. Uh, Daniel James was playing on that side. And for all his faults, one of them is not his pace. So I was kind of nervous to see how Leighton Baines would stack up just simply dealing with the pace. However, I felt like he largely shut him down. I mean, you know, you would have felt that Man United would have tried to kind of exploit our left-hand side a little bit more, even with all their possession. But nonetheless, I thought Leighton Baines was really great, and it was exciting to see him back on the pitch for Everton again also. Totally agree, Alex. Let's talk about let's talk about the goal because the own goal, of course, um, some controversy there. I think we probably got a little bit lucky it not being called a foul on the review. It looked like Dominic Calvert-Lewin did have kind of his elbow in the face of De Gea. Adam, is that what? What do you make of that decision? I mean, it's it's nice to kind of have VAR decisions go our <laughs> way since we're accustomed to it being the opposite. But I I, th- I think we might have got a bit lucky in that instance. Well, I bet you Marco Silva, if he was watching that, would have, think, would have been thinking, <laughs> oh, well, I'd have loved one of them to go my way. Uh, yeah. But th- to be honest, even even when I was watching the replay, I don't think that's a foul. Like, I think, you know, if, maybe by the letter of the law and the way the game is at the minute, yeah, I think it is a foul. But I think keepers are too overprotected by these sorts of rules. Mm. And, you know, if De Gea is coming out to try and collect that ball, he needs to be stronger. Like he knows he's going to be challenging a player for that ball, so he just need he needs to try and dominate that aerial battle, and he didn't. I think Calvert Lewin did just enough to put him off, and then, uh, you know, it's it's a bit unfortunate for Lindelof, but you know, we don't care. <laughs> like it's ended up in the back of the net. <laughs> no, so, not at all. Uh, but yeah, I, I I personally wouldn't be giving that as a foul. I agree. I don't think it's a foul. And and I the other thing I want to point out, kind of not sure that it actually matters, but. The way his arm was raised, right, it was just shoulder height. He wasn't over-raising it. When you jump, you you flap your arms out for kind of stability, right? So it's kind of, in my opinion, it was somewhat natural. Both players are absolutely okay to challenge for the ball. You know, most of the time you'll see that given as a foul if the keeper is just jumping straight up to catch the ball and the center forward or or whatever player kind of bundles into him. In that case, I felt kind of it was like one of those 50-50 challenges that you could have seen in midfield in which it wouldn't have mattered. I think you both make really good points there. Um, you know, I just think it wouldn't have surprised me to see it given just the way that our luck has been going this season. But I'm, of course, very happy that it wasn't. And I do think, you know, Calvert-Lewin's clearly trying to play the ball. I don't think there's any intent to, like, do anything sneaky or or, or foul him. So I, I think the referee ultimately made it the right decision. Moving forward a bit, I we kind of have to talk about this. It, it maybe dampened the mood following the draw and the point on the day. And that, of course, is the bizarre Moise Keane situation. Fans have been clamoring for Moise Keane for some time now. He comes on with about, what, the 70th minute. And I, for one, was very excited to see what he would be able to do, only to then be yanked less than 20 minutes later for Umar Nias. So one of the most bizarre occurrences in a match that I can remember in a long time. And this, of course, set social media alight. Alex, what are your initial thoughts on the Moise Keen? I know when, what you immediately tweeted, like, what the heck is happening? And I think that was sort of the overriding sentiment for most people. Um, what did you think of that whole situation? I was just confused. I mean, don't get me wrong. He was on the pitch for 18 minutes. 
So to say that I watched only him intently for those 18 minutes would be a complete lie. However, I will say that, you know, I saw actually in an an Echo article, maybe Adam, it was you, I didn't pay attention to the author, but I guess Duncan Ferguson said that he felt that he just never got a grip on the game Mm -hmm. in which he started him at center forward, moved him to the right-hand side, and then pushed him back to center forward and Dominic Calvert-Lewin out to the right. Mm -hmm. I think that and then he went on to say, right, or he initially post-match, I know he said that this was just a t- time waste. I feel like that was a really bad <laughs> explanation. I think even if you're making excuse, right, I don't think that that's the case. I, I really don't. I feel like that's still a terrible excuse. You know, say something like it's tactical, just anything but that. Mm. People, as you said, Adam, are pointing out his performance and how he was uh, bent over, hands on his knees for the corner like 10 minutes into his appearance. Um I just, I don't know. I think that it's kind of a slap in the face to him. I think it was the wrong decision by Duncan Ferguson. I think that, you know, if you felt it's not working tactically, it's literally like the 88th minute and Umar Nias is not, I mean, obviously he's a hard worker and I respect him as a player, but why would you bring on Umar Nias for about three minutes? Why would you do that? Especially the biggest thing for me is the, is the damning confidence that it's going to take a hit. He's going to take a hit to his confidence being brought off like that in front of, I think, as someone else said, 70,000 Manchester United fans just standing there in a wall of red as he walks in shame. He didn't, you know, he didn't, uh, he didn't acknowledge Duncan Ferguson at all. And it looks like Duncan Ferguson didn't necessarily acknowledge him either. So I'm just not sure what's going on, but it's, I think that really ruined my mood for the draw. The draw is a really good result going there. And, and that's regardless of their form, our current form, just period. It's a really good result. And I just, I hope he's not gone in January like everyone is speculating based on what we just saw. No, I do I do agree. I think it, it, it does dampen the mood a little bit. And, you know, I, I think it was just a really unnecessary sort of event. Like, as, as, as I was saying to you before we started recording, I don't think people would be pointing out Moise Keane's performance if he hadn't been taken off in the 88th minute. If he'd have just saw out his 20-odd minutes he would have had on the pitch, then... It would have been fine, and I think it would have just slipped under the radar, and people would have just thought, "Ah, Moise Keane came on and did all right." Uh, as you say, I, 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 I wouldn't, I'd, I'd be lying if I said that I was completely watching Moise Keane for those whole eighteen minutes. But I, I don't think, from what I saw anyway, I didn't think he was putting in a necessarily bad sort of display. Uh, perhaps Duncan Ferguson was intently watching him for those eighteen minutes, and maybe that's why he came to his decision. Uh, he said he couldn't get up to the speed of the game. Uh, I, I wouldn't say it was a necessarily high-tempo game to tr- <laughs> in those closing stages. So uh, I, I don't know. It just seems even if he, even if everything was true, and you know he couldn't get up to the tempo of the game, and you know he thought Nias was the better option. I think in this in this scenario, Duncan Ferguson's just got to think to himself, right? Well, I either just accept that I've made a mistake. And I see out this game and, you know, if it, if it so happens that, you know, Moise Keane not tracking someone back leads to a goal, then the mistake falls on me, that's it. So he either needed to do that or he t- it takes the option that he made and took Moise Keane off. But it just it's just going to ruin the lad's confidence, which, you know, as we all know, wasn't sky high anyway. And to have to walk past, you know, a baying Old Trafford crowd and go straight down the tunnel. You know, Ferguson was saying at the end, you know, he could understand why Keane went straight down the tunnel. He could understand why he was disappointed. But surely he would also understand how it's going to affect the lad's confidence as well. So I just I just thought it was a really 
unnecessary sort of thing to do. He could have, he could have just kept them on, and you know it would have only been for five six minutes of the game. I'm sure I'm sure we would have been fine. Uh, yeah, it, it it is it is such a shame because you know I'm I'm like everyone else. I want to see Moise Keane doing really well and scoring goals in Everton shirt because he you know he, he seems you know whenever you see like behind the scenes training videos or anything like that, he seems like he's really really willing to put his all into this. Like this is his Premier League dream. He wants he wants to make this move a success, but just so many things just keep working against him at the minute, and I I don't think a lot of them are his fault. Yeah, I, I agree with, with largely with what you both said. I, for one, was watching Keane fairly intently when he came on just because I was curious to see, you know, was this going to be another encouraging substitute performance or was it going to be a bit disappointing? Of course, it ended up being the latter again through no fault of Keane's. But I was a little surprised in certain moments to see, you know, he's coming on late, fre- presumably to bring fresh legs to the front line to press. And I just wasn't really impressed with his work rate. I thought there were times when we, when United were looking to counter and, and push the ball forward and he looked fairly lackadaisical in getting back. Um, I don't know exactly. And that's frankly a conversation that between Duncan Ferguson and Moise Keane that needs to happen. I'm just worried that this seems to be more of a trend with our younger players that are on the verge of breaking in to the first team squad. Um, just the confidence damaging. Uh, immediately coming to mind is the Adam Ola-Lookman situation over the last two seasons where he was on the fringes and couldn't quite make his way into the team. And yeah, just it's worrying for the club as a whole because I think it can potentially signal that there was all this all this fanfare when we signed Moise Keane, you know, wow, we have the capability of bringing in these elite youngsters and helping them kick on to the next level. And I'm worried that you know, now the names are starting to pile up on players that we haven't been able to develop and bring through. And as damaging as it will have been for Moise Keane's confidence, I'm worried that it will be more damaging for his, you know, attitude or his, um, you know, his his vision of what he views himself, how he views himself within the context of Everton moving forward. Is this going to be the type of thing where he gets a very, you know, I guess, quote unquote, violent reaction where he feels very disrespected, feels very um, insulted? And that will kind of just start things headed south when maybe they were headed in the opposite direction. Um, so th- th- I guess that's my overall concern. Like, or is he going to, you know, show a professional reaction? What will that conversation between Big Duncan and Keen look like? Um, I'm hoping that you know Duncan Ferguson is able to have a heart heartfelt conversation to him, and that they can be on the same page and work together moving forward. But I, I certainly, based on the no communication or even so much as eye contact when he came off the pitch. Uh, it, it definitely gives me a bit of pause because this this is a player who, and I, I think we're hoping will be our future. And based on the result today, I, I'm not totally sure what it means for Duncan Ferguson. I think largely he's, he's bought the boards more time in the managerial search. Um, and this is probably something I can throw out to, to both of you, what what this does as far as Duncan Ferguson's tenure. But back to Moise Keane, yeah, I, it's, again, it's just something that felt kind of needless and it can it, it really can't mean anything good. I don't think it's going to do anything positive. And so that's why I sort of question <laughs> Big Dunk's judgment. Although, again, one point at Old Trafford is a really good result and four points from the last two is something that I think most Evertonians would have thought uh, was impossible following the sacking of Marcus Silva. So I know that's kind of a tangent and a rant, but uh, I'll throw it back to Alex. Well, you know, I was about to say, well, based on the fact that Big Dunk is is still a 
an interim manager, right? And we we presumably will sign a new manager soon. Maybe that'll be good for Moyes Keen, right? Like he doesn't have to be best friends with Duncan Ferguson. He could he can feel slighted by Duncan Ferguson, but that might not mean that he won't stay at Everton based on who we bring in. However, I then had a counterthought because I I guess tend to argue with myself. And that counterthought was essentially, well, Big Dunk is the strikers coach. So Moyes Keen is gonna have to work with him every single day. And and if he takes it in a very for lack of a better term, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Immature way in terms of making it feel really personal about maybe his skill, maybe not about his work rate, if that was the case, then then that still might be damaging regardless. I think I think in terms of Keane and his reaction, he can, you know, rather ironically, he can probably look at the player who replaced him in the end as a, a shining light for how he should be reacting to this sort of scenario. Because, you know, Umar Nias has been through so, so much, as we know, at Everton, and he's been dropped by so many managers. And, you know, he came on today for his first performance uh, for the first team, at least in almost a year. I think it was the Brighton game in December last year, which was his last was his last appearance for the, for the club. And uh, still you had fans singing his name. And that's because of how he's dealt with every single setback that he's ever had, how he fought back from that, you know, dropping by Cumin to, you know, save save the club when they, they most needed saving in in some really important games in that season. So yeah, I think Moise Keane should just look towards, you know, people who are already at the club and Umar Nias in particular and just think to himself, okay, there is there is a way that I can do this. You know, he shouldn't have any sort of doubts about his ability. You know, anyone who watched him in Italy knows that he's a fantastic footballer. So he shouldn't have any doubts about that. And I would I would just say you know, look towards the ass. Yeah, that's actually a really, really good example. And I, I kind of, it's easy to, for, it's easy to forget all of the trials and tribulations that Umar Nias has been through. And he's almost become like a club meme to some extent with the fact that he's now outlasted four managers. But again, it's just a testament to his work rate and his professionalism. I agree, Adam, totally a, a good example. And of course, Moise Keane will be probably, I guess it all depends on how he views himself and what he views, of course, I think he he and most others in world football consider him to be a tremendous prospect with a lot of a lot of potential, and I I just hope that he's able to realize that at Everton, and I think that's going to require, uh, yeah, a significant reaction from him, and and hopefully this will serve as you know a lesson for him and not serve as a, a deterrent for what he's able to achieve in his career. Well said. So, gentlemen, I mean, James, you brought it up earlier, but does this result lengthen his tenure at all? Or make the bosses think anything other than let's continue our search for a new manager. It 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 it, it it's it's tricky, isn't it? Because at, at the end of the day, you've you've got to wonder how how far can Ferguson go with mm. what he's doing now? It's a very it's a very simplistic way of playing. It's a very to the point. He's obviously drilled really good message into these players that connect them with it, that connect them with him. He's connecting with the fans. You know, it, it's it it does feel like something good has built itself up here. But when that it's of that of that initial momentum is obviously going to drop off at some point. So it's what happens after that which will be which will be the concerning thing. And Ferguson Ferguson even today again he said, look, Everton need the best manager in the world to be coming on coming in and a. Uh, coming in and managing the club and, you know, he stopped short of saying, and that's not me. But that's essentially what he was referring to. He he knows that he hasn't got the 
experience required to be able to take this job on a full-time basis. And, you know, I think it would be fantastic to keep him on as part of the coaching staff. And I think he is, you know, there were a lot of questions over the last few years over, over like, what he actually did at the club. But I, I don't think anybody will be questioning that now. I think he's certainly proven himself a vital aspect of, you know, the coaching staff. Uh, but I think essentially what he's doing is he is he is just, he's allowing the the club's hierarchy to be able to do an even do like even more due diligence on who is going to be the right man to take over on a permanent basis and you know it, I'd be shocked if he didn't get the Leicester game uh, but after that it's it, it's just a bit up in the air again will he have a man in place by then we don't know we we, we just can't tell yet so yeah I, I think it's 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 a really good thing that obviously that he's getting these results and these performances out of these players but I think it's just prolonging the search rather than you know rather than putting him in the frame per se yeah I think you hit the nail on the head Adam I think really this is about buying the board time to find the long-term candidate and I think you know if Duncan Ferguson were to for whatever reason you know say he stays for the rest of December even um, does his style of play eventually you know, wear thin on fans because this is now two games in a row where we've conceded 70% possession to the opposition. Um, we didn't really create all that many chances today. We were pretty fortunate with the own goal. And so, you know, the results speak for themselves. You get four points and it's it's hard to argue with that. But I mean, I think there were times under Marco Silva this season where we played much better objectively and yet didn't come away with the results. So it just speaks to like, you know, how many things, how many factors there are and luck plays a huge role and all of these. And he's certainly um, been fortunate and he's gotten a reaction, which he deserves a lot of credit for. But I'm just worried that, you know, I, I don't think, and I, th- I think he knows that he's not a long-term option. And I don't think very many people um, within the club are realistically viewing him as a long-term option. And so I think the worst possible outcome is that they let Duncan Ferguson stay at the helm too long. The new manager bounce sort of fades away and then we start dropping points again. And, you know, he's put under a lot of scrutiny that, frankly, he doesn't even deserve because he was put in this spot. And he, you know, you can tell he is very proud and very honored to, to lead Everton, um, even for a temporary, in a temporary capacity. But I would just hate to see the sort of, you know, really, really strong reaction and the positive reception by fans be worn thin by, you know, some of the tactical stuff maybe. We very easily could have lost that game today. We gave up 24 shots to only, and only had eight. Um, again, the result kind of the result overshadows that because we got the point. But yeah, I, I just think it's really crucial that he is buying the board time to find the right manager because right now it just seems like that search is uh, kind of very uh, scatterbrained in some senses where there isn't really a clear strategy or an obvious candidate. And so as that search goes on, yeah, I think Duncan Ferguson will probably be in charge for I'd say at least another week. I'd be surprised if he isn't in the dugout next weekend as well. Both good points. So I have one more question before we wrap up. And I guess you can answer it any way you want. Just assume any points you'd like. How long would you feel comfortable, you know, based on results, et cetera, I don't know. How long would you feel comfortable having Big Dunk at the helm before we replace him with a permanent manager then? New New Year, probably. First first game first Mm. game of January is that Man City. Man City on New Year's Day. Uh, I think at that point you're getting into you know a January transfer window, which is you know crucial for us. You know we need midfield options. You could say we need a striker. We definitely need some centre back cover as well. 
like we need to be spending money in this January transfer window. Now I know it's against what Mar- Marcel Brands usually does, but I think I feel like he just needs to abandon that and that like this needs to happen now. And I I, I wouldn't feel comfortable in Everton doing that without a manager at the helm. You know, you know I know Marcel Brands is going to be the driving force behind these transfers anyway, but you know somebody for him to you know bounce these ideas off. You know somebody who so we know that we're buying players for this specific manager's project i think that would be if if we were if we still had duncan ferguson at the helm and we still had the temporary manager and we were buying we were buying players in this window you'd you'd feel all right all of these temporary players as well like and i i, I don't want to go through another another transfer window where we where we're possibly thinking mm. that so i think by the time it gets to january i i, I would be starting to get a little uncomfortable but you know he keeps getting results he keeps getting <laughs> results so uh right. but yeah i think january january is my cut off i think that's probably a a good call i would say again back to the the buying time thing i think you know being a former player and and arguably a legend of the club gets the fans behind you no matter what and his demeanor on the sidelines and all of the things the way he speaks about the club are all things that fans want to hear I think that's really important right now, considering how decimated we are by injuries. So for me, it's going to be very hard to convince a manager to come in right now with a squad that doesn't even have two healthy starting midfielders and, you know, commit. Obviously, it's it's for the short term, but that would be a very difficult thing for a manager to come in and try to turn around. Uh, so I think if Duncan Ferguson can be at the helm until we get a few of those players back and we ha- are looking at a better uh, outlook for the squad from a health perspective. I think that that would be vital because, you know, w- with a fully stocked midfield, obviously we have, you know, once JPG comes back into the fray, I think that adds an entirely new dimension to our ability and how we can play. But for now, it's kind of just, you know, play ugly, get results, get points and stay out of the relegation scrap. And so for me, I think I think the target date of the new year is a, is a fair one. And I think um, even if we were to drop points from this point until then, the fans would still be behind Big Dunk because of what he means for the club. Whereas if a new manager comes in and all of a sudden drops their first three results, then you know that immediately could cause the fans to to turn. I think perhaps we need to have realistic expectations of where we're at. But um, yeah, I, I agree with Adam that the new year is probably reasonable at this point unless things change dramatically uh, in our search between now and then. Alex, what are your thoughts? I get the points, and I think that's actually fair. Personally, I'd prefer him to be replaced earlier only because I'd rather have him, you know, a new manager come in and be able to get situated with the squad and see who he has and how he how he prefers to play. Because if he comes in, you know, in the new year, right, then we only have the month of January to to buy and sell players. After, you know what, he takes two weeks to figure out what he has and what he needs or how how he can play to the squad's strengths. That could be kind of quick on time. I mean, obviously Marcel Brands will have his targets, but you know that conversation has to be had by both of them. So, ideally, quicker than that. But I'd be okay with the new year if it came down to it, and I'd rather just have the right appointment than anything else. So, if that's what it takes, then that's what it takes. Hopefully, we can get this uh, manager search resolved sooner rather than later. But again, just the right appointment is more important than a timely appointment, in my opinion. Uh, That's going to do it for us today. Adam, thanks so much for joining us again. We really appreciate your time. Oh, no, thank you for having me again. And we will be with you guys again uh, on Wednesday following the cup tie versus Leicester. Hopefully Big Dunk can keep up the run of form and get these players 
to respond in what would be an absolutely massive win for the club. So until next time, up the toffees. Thanks for tuning in to the American Toffee Podcast. Come join our Discord community at invite.gg ATP and follow us on Twitter and Facebook at USA Toffee Pod.